0: Holy Gospel according to St. Luke the 21st chapter. Jesus said there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them, Parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Paul writes, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Hope is what I'd like to talk about this morning and all of us here know the word. It's not one that requires too much explanation, right? Hope is the expectation for certain good things to happen in the future. Of course, hope is an appropriate topic for us to be considering now, it's Advent, the season of hope, hope in the Lord's final coming and power, glory, and vindication, and also the hope of Christmas coming and the joy that that brings us each year. And you see hope expressed very well in our lessons this morning. There are a lot of Bible stories that show what hope looks like, demonstrates what it is to have hope and to be looking forward in hope. You have the story of Joseph, which takes up a good portion of the book of Genesis. After he was sold into slavery by his brothers, he still lived in hope in the God who was his God to preserve, bless, and protect him. You had the hope of the nation of Israel as they were captives in the land of Egypt and finally later captives in Judah, that is captives in Babylon, living in hope that God would one day again vindicate his people. And Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers, certainly in their own turn and way, commend hope to Christians, saying, you're a Christian, you should live hopefully in life. Faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, goes hand in hand with having hope. If you're going to have faith, you will also at the same time have hope. How could you not, right? God will bring a happy issue out of all of our afflictions, we pray, and certainly, I hope, hope for every time we are going through afflictions. But to help us remember how we ought to live in hope and how God does deliver, I want to look at a story from Second Kings chapter 6 this morning, a story from Israel's history. Now you have there, if you look it up, it's one of the shorter ones, but you can read it pretty quickly if you want to. You see that the Syrian king was warring against Israel. They were going on raids down in what was then the northern kingdom, after the southern kingdom Judah had split away. And what he would do, this king of Syria would have his army go in certain encampments around. And now this is long before the day of satellite imagery and really systematic Military intelligence where you always kind of knew who was going where. You could pull out your phone right now and see exactly what's going on in the Ukraine because we have that technology. They didn't have that back then. Back then it was word of mouth. Well, at any rate, they'd go around with these camps. But each time the Syrians were preparing to go on a raid to fight a battle to get Israel by the short hairs, as it were. The prophet Elisha, Elisha with an S-H, he would foil the plan. The Lord let him know where the Syrians were, and Elisha would warn the northern kingdom, the Israelites, and they would escape the clutches once again of the Syrian king. Time and time again, Elisha foiled their plans, and time and time again, in frustration, almost like a Scooby-Doo cartoon, the king said, drats, they got me again. I didn't get them. And it certainly did anger the king. It's what we're told there in 2 Kings. He was very upset that each time, so conveniently, the Israelites knew where he was, and so he asked aloud, is this reasonable? Is there a traitor in my court? Is somebody here in my group telling the Israelites where we are, where we are going, and each time keeping us from getting the better of them? But really quickly, one of his servants somehow knew, no, there's no traitor here, but there's a man of God named Elisha, a prophet, and he's the one that is causing you, your highness, these headaches and keeping your raids from being successful. Well, there it was. He finally had the reason why he hadn't been successful, and so he says, well, you know who he is, do you also know where he is, that we might go and have a little chat with this man of God to keep him from keeping us from uh, achieving our objective. They said, in the land of Dothan, in the town of Dothan in the northern kingdom. And so that's exactly where the king set out. He sent his great army in the middle of the night to encamp around Dothan. And for whatever reason, Elisha did not see or know they were coming. Perhaps so it could play out as we are about to find out was the reason. But There they were, in Dothan, Elisha and all the people surrounded by the Syrian army. And there was no way of escape, a complete siege work set up. And in the morning, when the sun came up, and the people of the city, and particularly Elisha's servant, looked out and saw the Syrians, their enemies, encamped against them with no way of escape. There was a lot of hand wringing, particularly by Elisha's servant, He woke up and he saw it and he said, alas, they've got us. What are we going to do? There is no chance for us to escape. He was, in a word, hopeless. Hopeless for what the next few hours would be for him, Elisha, and the people of the city. I think hopelessness is something that is far too common these days. Too many people find themselves being hopeless in life. It's not mere pessimism, just sort of a negative attitude, but I think hopelessness is characterized in having no good expectations about what the future is going to hold. You have it in the world, and unfortunately, you even find it in the church sometimes. The usual culprit for hopelessness is bad circumstances, right? The things that someone's going through you're on a bad path, you're in a bad way for whatever reason, and you find yourself toying with that feeling or really overwhelmed by the feeling of hopelessness. What good can come out of this? But the seedbed for hopelessness, I would say, is not just bad circumstances. It's also no sign of relief. You are in the situation, and you can't even, in that situation, fathom how something good can come out of it, how something can change, how something positive can be affected by what you are living in. It's here to stay. You're in the middle of the tunnel, it's dark, and you don't even see a glimmer of light ahead of you on the path. There have been times in my life personally when I've been there. I've lived through such feelings, and I could describe it pretty accurately because it is a lived experience for me, and I'm going to go ahead and guess and go out on a limb, probably a pretty thick limb, that a lot of you have been there, too, at one point or another, whether it's now, whether it's recently, or maybe even it was, 10, 20, 30 years ago, I bet you've been there. A tough situation where there's no off-ramp and seemingly little grounds for hope. It's not a foreign experience in life, hopelessness and things that make hopelessness. And even if you read the Old Testament particularly, you'll see... Even the great patriarchs did have times where they were seemingly hopeless, at least for a moment, asking the Lord what good can come from this. And that is the state where we find Elisha's servant there in Dothan as the Syrian army is encamped around them. There's no chance of escape, no tunnels, no little secret paths out of the city, just this, a certain painful death at the hands of the Assyrians. But Elijah sets them straight. He says, and I'll just go ahead and read it here so you can get it direct from the scriptures. He sees this army, and Elisha says, he prays and says, O Lord, please open his, that is, my servant's eyes, that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains, the mountain where they were in Dothan was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's what was there. In a hopeless situation, Elisha first gave a word of hope. There are more with us than with him, he tells the man. There's more with us, is how he precedes that. He says, Don't worry, servant. We have more people than the Syrians do. He doesn't see anything and then he prays, open his eyes so that he can see. And sure enough, his eyes are opened and that's exactly what he sees. Horsemen, chariots of fire, encamped around the Lord's servant, Elisha. And the situation that seemed so a few precious seconds earlier, so hopeless and utterly despair-worthy was then a situation you could stand on your own two feet and mock your enemy with confidence because you are in the midst of God and his army. Now, the story doesn't end there. You might think that the next scene as it plays out is that the army of the Lord rushed down in some sort of big Tolkien white-like way and they completely slaughtered the Syrians. That's not what happens. As the Syrians are coming in to attack, they can't see the Lord's army, but Elisha's servant can. As they are coming in to attack... Elisha prays again, Lord, strike that army blind. And that's what happens. They can't see or they can't see enough to do anything. And they just sort of stop. And Elisha says, comes out to them, you guys are in the wrong city. Here, let me take you where you need to be. And so he leads them, the whole army, by the nose almost, all the way up to Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, the country they were warring against. And the king sees them, his enemy army right there, just kind of standing there. And the king's about ready to slaughter them. And even then, Elijah says, nope. Are you going to kill these, your prisoners? Give them food, give them drink, and send them home. And that's what the king did. They went home. There was no more war. And it's one of the bloodless battles of the Old Testament. He lived in peace after that. But that's just so you know how it ends. I just want to say today that the angel of the Lord and his army and camp around his Christians Around you, friends, you who fear love and trust in the God of Israel, you have the army of God on your side. To put it short, Jesus Christ defends his church. He defends those who belong to him. Elisha's servant, who kind of represents us in the story that I read or looked at here, he had every reason in those circumstances to be hopeless, at least seemingly. A bad situation no way out. But the problem that he had was he was just trusting his eyes alone. He was just looking at what he thought and perceived to be the facts alone. What he couldn't see before Elisha had his eyes opened was that the Lord was with them encamped about them with a great army, powerful, mighty, and glorious. When he thought he had every reason to be hopeless, unbeknownst to him, he had every reason to be hopeful, even to be confident, even to praise God. You see, that's the thing. God is always with us. He's always, even when we don't perceive it, providing, protecting, and preserving us. And when it seems to us in the moment like he's not or not there, well, that's just us not seeing what the reality actually is. And sure bad things do sometimes befall us. We've all lived through those things too. But even still, God is there in the background working out and through those bad things for our salvation. So when it comes to hope, this Advent season, this Christmas, and the rest of your lives, I want you to do this. Don't just trust in your senses. Don't just trust in princes or even the powers of this world. Don't Think that your present circumstances and whatever bad that you perceive yourself to be going through is all that there is. It is not indeed. Trust rather in the Lord your God. Commit to him all your ways. Follow his precepts. Pray, live, and wait and him and his mighty hand to deliver you. And know that in your life, amid all adversities, whether they be few or great, There are always more with you than with them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Josh, Rachel.